Conveyance is a conveyance, but sometimes some searches take place, lawyers go into more detail, more due diligence, more information about the property. I mean, one of the biggest things that we see is problems with building and pest issues, for example, on residential properties. How do you get around them? How do you navigate a dispute? What if you've got into a contract and you have termination rights somewhere else around the contract? Hello and welcome. You're listening to Dash.Insider, where we help you to become a better investor. And on today's show, I'm talking with Sam Saad from Long Saad Woodbridge Lawyers. He's a lawyer that deals that specializes in real estate transactions. He's helped dozens, I don't know, maybe more than dozens of our clients to successfully execute their their property acquisitions. And so we dig into today topics like what is conveyancing? What's the difference between a conveyancer and a lawyer? Why do you need someone like that on your team? What are the kind of things they look for in the transaction? How, where can things go wrong? All of that kind of stuff. So we actually, look, let's be real. Conveyancing, legal, not exactly a sexy topic, but it is critical for your investment success that you understand the process. You understand what good looks like. You understand where things can go wrong. You understand the importance of it because having the right legal representative on your team is as important as having the right property acquisition partner. It is just as important as having the right mortgage broker. It is a critical element of the entire process. So today's episode was great. I actually got a lot out of it and I'm sure you will too. And without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to Dash Insider. Joining me today is Sam Saad from Long Saad Woodbridge Lawyers. Sam, how are you? Good, thanks, Goose. It's good to, good to be chatting with you. Indeed, 100%. So, mate, what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about the legal side of transacting on property. It's an area that is like, and I know you might not agree with me, but it's not that sexy, right? <laughs> I'm sure you're sitting there thinking it's the coolest thing. Definitely the sexiest. But most people think, oh yeah, most people don't think it's that sexy or it's that interesting, but it is pretty bloody important. And it's actually a lot more complex than more people, than, than people really give it credit for. They think, ah, we're just going to sign some contracts, but you and I both know it's a little bit more than that. Before we get stuck into it, why don't you kind of give us a bit of background, the sort of 60-second synopsis. Who are you and why should anyone care what you've got to say? Yeah, absolutely, mate. I think that's a, that's a good point. And, you know, lawyers are people who come into the transaction at the end of the day. So, you know, my name is Sam Saad. I'm one of the partners here at Longside Woodbridge. So we do a multifaceted of things across the firm, but one of our biggest areas of things that we do is residential and commercial property transactions. So we deal with these things day in, day out for clients, and we find it to be quite an important part of the entire transaction process. I mean, for most people, they're buying properties. It's probably the most expensive thing that they buy in their entire life. And so, you know, why wouldn't you get a bit of advice just before you sign that piece of paper? It's not like you're buying something at the store around the corner or anything like that. It's it's the largest transaction you're doing. So taking a bit of time to have a contract reviewed and checked out just before you put your name on the dotted line is is always super important and it won't hurt you to do that. Yeah. Okay, cool. So some people that are listening to this have or multiple properties. So they're going to be familiar with terms like conveyancer, lawyer. Some people won't have bought any properties yet. They might be at the start of their real estate investing journey. When you're going through this period, and we're going to, I won't talk about, I want to talk about like some of the process stuff. I want to talk about, you know, conditional, unconditional exchanges, stuff like that. But for those people who don't know, what is the difference between a conveyancer and a lawyer? And are they used interchangeably in this process or you know, who 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 does someone who who should someone speak to and why when they're thinking about buying a property in this situation? Yeah, that's a good question. Look, a lot of the time, um, people don't know the difference between a conveyancer and a lawyer. 
the process that you go through when buying a property is called conveyancing. So naturally, people think if I'm dealing with a lawyer or dealing with a conveyancer, it's the same thing. They do the same job. And they're right. The process is a conveyance. So conveyances do a transactional process, give advice generally on simple transactions and walk their way through the transaction and can go to the end. However, a lawyer is, I guess, a practitioner who's gone through law school, got a lot more experience in terms of just not that focused property view, but a more holistic property view. So if things go wrong along the way, most of the time you have a conveyance that can say, well, I can't do this. You should go see a lawyer. Mm. There's a dispute about a certain thing. So you need to jump off a conveyancer and go into a lawyer and get that looked at. When you have a lawyer looking at the transaction from start to finish, they may cost you a bit more than a conveyancer does or conveyancer charges, but you know that you've got the experience from the start. It avoids some issues going wrong that may have been overseen at the start. Not that it's an intentional thing by a conveyancer, but they're aware of things on a process-by-process basis, but not when a dispute arises, when there's a dispute about you know, changing names on contracts, trying to get out of a contract, building and pest issues, finance issues, how do you work your way around them? And so that's the difference between having an experienced lawyer look at it versus a conveyance so you can do the process for you. Yeah, super interesting. So a lot of people don't realize that the actual transaction is a conveyance. That is the process. So you're conveying Correct. one asset from, an, from uh, an asset from one person to another person. So the easiest way to think about it, just to, just to kind of simplify that a little bit, is a conveyancer understands the conveying process. They understand what needs to happen to move one asset from one person's name into another person's name, how to specifically do that process. Whereas a lawyer looks at the full suite of the situation, looks all around it and says, well, what are the risks in this? And how do we think about those risks? And what are the potential uh, hazards or trip trip, you know, trip you hazards that we're going to get, we kind of come across along the way that could cause this uh, experience to kind of go or end up in a place that's going to be hard to walk back from? Is that a kind of fair synopsis? Yeah, mate. That's a perfect summary of, of what the difference is between the both. Okay, cool. So- I mean, a lot of people think of though, I mean, it's just signing contracts, right? Someone just signs a contract, I sign a contract, their house becomes my house. It's not that. <laughs> I mean, what risks are there really? Like really, what can go wrong? Why should anyone even, because you talk about like a lawyer costs more money and a lot of people are thinking, yeah, but for what, you know, I, yep. just to just to read the contract better. I mean, what can actually go wrong? Look, conveyance is a conveyance, but sometimes some searches take place, lawyers go into more detail, more due diligence more information about the property. I mean, one of the biggest things that we see is problems with building and pest issues, for example, on residential properties. How do you get around them? How do you navigate a dispute? What if you've got into a contract and you have termination rights somewhere else around the contract? But the conveyance hasn't told you that. You know, giving you a simple summary of the terms, gone through the process, and then you get to a point, you're at a roadblock. Well, I wasn't told this. How do I get out of that? How do I argue with a, with a vendor when they haven't give me disclosure of certain things. And so we pick up a lot of those things along the way. And I think the experience that we have in terms of dealing with disputes gives us that additional edge to be able to tell clients, well, look, these issues come up before. We know how to navigate them and this is how you get your way through them. And to have an experienced team to be able to work through and resolve those issues for clients without them having to revert to litigation or finding other ways to get out of contract or potentially even losing their deposit because they can't resolve a dispute between them and a vendor Putting them into place and having that experience to work that out is a key thing in these transactions, especially when you've got three, four, five hundred thousand at play, even more, and you have multiple properties. And whilst these issues come up then, they can come up at a later point. And even sometimes clients go unconditional on a contract, they they almost feel stuck. And what do you do when a conveyor says, Well, it is what it is? 
sometimes there's ways out of it. Interesting. Have you got an example of a particular client you've worked with or something where they ended up in a sticky situation and you know you had to flex your legal muscles in order to try and get them out of that sticky situation? It'd be awesome to get a kind of a, a tangible example of what this can look like. Look, simple situations. We've had many clients come to us when they've had building and pest issues on other contracts and they just seem to get to a point where the vendor digs their heels in and can't get out. And we find ways to get them out of it or even finance situations. You know, sometimes you have buyers where they can't get their finance for whatever reason, but their conveyancer is given the wrong way of notice to terminate the contract and that's been invalid. So then they come back to us as lawyers and say, well, how do I get my way around it? And the specific wording in the contracts that have to be followed to get clients out of finance situations, building and pest situations, the devil's in the detail and that's where you work your way through. So we have had clients in those situations, either building and pest or finance. Even another one is just incorrect names on contracts. And mm. sometimes vendors refuse to change contracts up when there's no real harm to them other than having a correction. But some will dig their heels in and you have to rely on case law and other situations to get clients to fix that up. Yeah, okay, cool. So okay, so basically if there's a, a finance issue or a building and pest issue or if something like that comes up, it basically you're actually just trying to make sure that you've got the firepower so that you don't get stuck or bamboozled by somebody else who potentially yep. doesn't know what to do. So when when should somebody engage a conveyancer? Is it, you know, let's talk about the different stages of the contract process because there's conditional exchange, unconditional exchange, there's cooling off periods. Talk to me about that and, and when is the most appropriate time to engage a lawyer to start participating and acting on your behalf in the transaction? Look, different states have different rules. So one of the biggest things, Queensland WA, most of the time those contracts will have either cooling off periods or subject to building and pests, subject mm-hmm. to finance. So if the sooner you get a lawyer involved, the better. If you get a lawyer involved at the start from when you found a property and you're ready to hit go on it, get a lawyer involved, get them to have a look at the contract. Just to make sure there's no red flags, make sure there's a cooling off period, make sure there's an appropriate subject to finance, subject to building and pest clause, appropriate cooling off periods. But if you exchange a contract with a cooling off period, you basically got that window to find a lawyer. So the minute you exchange, you know, we've done a lot of transactions with Dashdot where they come through, they're exchanged and they've got a five-day cooling off period or 10-day cooling off period or 21-day subject to finance. And that's a period where we can give the client the advice, give them the way forward, tell them what they need to do and how they need to navigate their way to locking away that property. Okay, can you talk me through in detail, not general, but yep. in detail, like what is it you're actually looking for when someone comes to you and says, I've got this property and I've just, I've got it, uh, I've got it under contract, I've got a, whatever, a 20 day building and pest, uh, building pest and finance course, so they've got a bit of time and they go, hey, can you help me with this? What are you actually looking yeah. for? Are you, are you, talk me through the key things that you're looking for in the contract and then also I'd love to know what, searches you do to make sure like what is your process that's what i'm trying to get to so people can kind of visualize what those steps are and then yep. and what you yep. think about so the minute we get a contract in we first thing is we do review the contract make sure there's no red flag terms in there so like what what's like red terms like what's a red for flag example term? a um a vendor makes a disclosure that they've got an unapproved structure on the property that's a number one red flag how do we get a client to protect themselves? Is the vendor going to give us some money for that? Are we going to put us, uh, some money aside? Are we going to you know, have to spend that cost to get that rectified at our cost? Whose liability is that? Who does it fall on? 
that's a, that's that's one of the main things that we look for because usually there's disclosures. Are there you know if it's subject to a tenant, are there any leases in place? What are the security bonds that are in place? Um, has the tenant defaulted in any of those situations? Then we look at just the contract term generally. Most of the time, contracts are fairly vanilla other than the special conditions that go in. And most of those special conditions are either put in by agents or vendors to say, we haven't done this for the property or look out for this or we're not covering you for this. We're making certain changes. One of the biggest things in, for example, WA contracts that we look at is building and pest. They sometimes limit the building and pest clauses to the main building, but then you have a townhouse, uh, sorry, you have a granny flat at the back of the property, which is not covered. And let's just say that granny flat's infested with termites, it's all damaged, you go out and exchange and say, okay, well, I've got a building a pest issue, but you know it's on the back of the property and the vendor will say, well, you know what? You can't get out of it in the contract because we only allow you to have any building a pest issues with the main building. So you're almost stuck in that situation. So that's one of the biggest things that we look off. And if you get that rectified during cooling off period, then you're in the clear. You want to make sure that you have everything covered from the property and not just certain parts of it. So vendors can be cheeky in their reviews and how they put things in contracts, same with agents to sell a property. So we've got to make sure our client's covered when they're buying. Mm-hmm. Once we do that, we do a number of detailed searches. So we'll give you a summary of the main terms in the contract, give you the advice on that. So you understand what your obligations are, what happens when you have to settle, if you're delayed for settlement, if there's a breach for any terms, what happens there. Then we do a list of searches. So searches include council rates, water rates, general area searches, zoning searches, planning searches to look at whether there's any heritage locations or issues with the property. Are there any sewer lines that run through the property? Is your property built over a sewer line where it's not allowed to be? Um, Are there any cultural issues, Aboriginal heritage parts of your site that are on there? are there any other mines? You know, sometimes in the WA, there's mines on certain sites. So there's a number of things that we give clients advice and all of that. So we'll give you a detailed report, which is probably about 10 to 15 pages, and we give you a summary of any red flags in that report. Most of the time, they turn out okay. But if we feel like there's a flood zone that's coming up that your property could be, you know, subject to close to the water, we'll flag that. Usually, these reports will say, you know, it's 100-year flood could get your property flooded or it's not within a flood zone, it's not within a bushfire zone. There's a huge array of things that we cover off in that due diligence. So they're the key things that we cover off. Make sure that if there's any building and pest issues, we go back and forth with a vendor and negotiate that for you, whether you get a price reduction, whether you get you know, the vendor to fix it before settlement, get to fix it after settlement. Is it an insurance thing that's being fixed? Finance, make sure you get your finance in time. Also coordinate with the vendor to waive your finance if your finance is all good. Once those three things are done, contract looks all good, searches come back good, your finances all good, that comes back all good, and your building and pest comes back all good, then you're basically ready to go unconditional. And you've got to be ready to go for settlement from then on. Then the next step comes being getting ready for settlement. If you're delayed, each state has different rules. Queensland now has some of the grace of five business days where previously it didn't. So if you didn't settle on time, one minute after five, the vendor could terminate the contract, you could lose your deposit. That's been a huge media thing that came into the media once, probably about six months ago. Um, so since then, the rules have changed. WA, there's grace periods as well where we can get you through without you know losing the property or losing your deposit. Interest gets charged. New South Wales is different. Each state has different, different, I guess, processes to run through. One of the benefits that we have is that we're licensed to work across all states. So clients can engage us for WA, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, ACT, 
And that's the benefit that clients have. So if they're looking to have a diverse portfolio of properties that they're looking to purchase across different states, then you don't have to have five different lawyers that you're dealing with. You know the process with us. It's the same process across all your properties, except we're experiencing the different states and how they work. Yeah. That's actually a big advantage. That is a big advantage because um, over the years, we've had to have different uh, lawyers in different states, right? We've got that New South Wales lawyer, and we've got the WA lawyer, and we've got the yeah. Queensland lawyer. And you know, great, but no, no disrespect to the uh, to the industry you're in. But geez, there is a lot of variability in terms of quality that you can For get, sure. and it's very hard. Like sometimes you can have a cracking, like an awesome lawyer in Queensland, and then be like, oh man, my New South Wales lawyer, God, it's like it's hard work. <laughs> and so getting that kind of consistency and getting a relationship yeah. that you can have that works across all of the states is is actually kind of rare as well i would say because a lot there's not many people who do that because of the variability in regulations and stuff that you need to understand across all of the states so what we spoke about then was kind of key considerations really when buying a, a property right all the kind of things that we've got to think through what's diff that sounded like it was primarily around thinking about houses and stuff like that are there any other key considerations that people need to bear in mind if they're thinking about buying something like an apartment or a unit or a townhouse where there might be strata or um, community management schemes uh, or community title schemes, stuff like that. Is there any other key considerations that people would need to be thinking about in though in that context? Yeah, definitely. So when you're buying a strata unit, whether it be a townhouse or apartment, there's a whole different order community title scheme. There's a whole different layer of things that you need to consider. And one of the most important things in those is the strata report that you obtain or the community title scheme report that you obtain regarding the property because they're actually, in some sense, more important than your contract. Contract can be vanilla. It says, you know, these are your terms. This is how you do settlement, so on and so forth. But a strata report will tell you, are there any special levies? Are there any um, high levies coming up? Are there any issues in the building? Are there waterworks that are leaking? Are there um, disputes between neighbors? So on and so forth. It just gives you a whole detailed report. You understand how much money they have through a strata report whether you're going to be coming up for a special levy. So you might be paying, you know, quarterly strata levies of say 700 bucks a quarter, but then you find out the sinking fund or the admin fund is really low and it hasn't been topped up for six months and you're going to be coming up for a special levy because the building has some cladding works. Sign a contract, you go through with it, that's not picked up. Then all of a sudden you're paying seven grand a quarter because there's building cladding and the strata scheme's got no money. So that's why in those situations or townhouse or community title scheme, you need to understand what are those quality levies? Are you going to be up for any additional special levies as you come up? Are there any building disputes? Do the neighbors get along? Are there weekly issues that are happening and, you know, fights about parking or fights about, you know, who's maintaining the garden and so on and so forth? And all those things are quite important when it comes to apartments and townhouses and, and to be honest we do a lot more of those transactions becoming more and more common as Sydney and Queensland and WA gets more populated in the capital cities that's what people are going for and that's what they can afford yeah interesting are there any states that it's like a better term easier to buy a property like are there, which are, which states have kind of like the most complex when it comes to the contract process or the legal side of it which is there any that are easier or harder than the one another look Queensland has a lot of disclosure requirements and buyer requirements so in queensland it's quite document heavy so when we're saying clients things legislation requires us to do a lot of it and they'll just get a huge amount of information 
versus New South Wales as you know there's no legislation that requires certain documents to be provided mm-hmm. compared to Queensland WA the building and pest process is a lot more meticulous and detailed versus Queensland Queensland's a bit more relaxed about their building and pest process um WA, the only downside is the cooling off periods. They don't usually have cooling off periods there. So if you're signing a contract in WA, it's probably better to get it reviewed by a lawyer before you go into it at some point. Or if you're comfortable with it, generally just if there's no special conditions, get it signed up there. But they all got their tricks and and little things that are different intricacies about each state. So there's not one that's easier than the other. But you know, me being in New South Wales, that's what we've done most of. And um, that's something that they usually have the lowest level of disclosures. Everything's in the searches and the contract, so you don't have to do any external stuff after you exchange. Nice. Now, when people are working with a mortgage broker, so I'm a big believer that everyone needs to have a rock-solid team, right? And a team consists of probably having someone on your side for finance, someone on your side for property acquisition, someone on your side for legal. You know, there's yeah. a few a few other key players in there, but that's that's a big one. That's the big three. And so when people are getting, uh, when people engage with a mortgage broker, Man, the amount of paperwork you need to do, you've got to oh, get all your bank statements and do all this kind of stuff. There's like, yep, yep. it can be, it's, can be pretty full on, right? <laughs> You're getting yeah, ready. Yeah, absolutely. Like that, that initial interaction with the mortgage broker can be pretty full on. Lots of paperwork, lots of documents, lots of homework and all that kind of stuff. When someone's engaging with a lawyer uh, to do the property acquisition, the transaction like this, do, do they need to have anything ready, prepared, or is it just the property contract? Or is to talk me through that. Is there any kind of like, stuff that people need to have ready before they engage yeah look for us it's fairly straightforward everything's in the contract once the contract's issued mm-hmm. we basically do everything and take all the heavy lifting for clients we do all the searches in the background get all the figures ready make sure you know what you need to pay for settlement have your passport your driver's license and we prep all the other paperwork for you for you so do you need a passport the, sometimes you do most of the time you do because now these days with PECSA and everything happening online, we have to do ve- online verifications. So each of the easiest forms of ID are passport and driver's license. Mm. If you don't have those and they ask for credit cards and a number of other documents that you have to put through there. But yeah, yeah. say so 99% of the time you need a passport and the only way you can get away with it is you have this and other ID documents from government. Okay. Got it. What is PEXA, by the way? What is PEXA and, and what, it's, what it talk to me about that? Because I, I actually I know what PEXA is, but I love it. I think, it, I think yeah. what they've done is awesome. So. Look, it's made our lives easier in that things can happen instantly online. So it's an online platform that, that allows the transfer to take place. So yeah. historically or back in the day, as they say, everything used to take place with a paper transfer. You have to go down and everyone would be in the room. I'd give you some checks for our client's purchase money is what they're paying you give me your title we'll give you the transfer and the bank comes in they give their checks and everyone tops up and so everyone's literally sitting around a table and it's happening what this is is an online platform where everyone's around a table but virtually and we all upload our documents into there and everything basically once it all matches up and is 100 percent ticked and everyone's done their part then the transfer happens and i think that's yeah. just made land titles across the country just much easier in terms of processing and lodging documents and everything just happens electronically so yeah, it's totally. Like, hey, it's revolutionary, like revolutionary in terms of like how that has changed the process that you can do digital contract exchange and digital title exchange. As you say, back in the day, it was, it was. Yeah, I mean, could did you have to sit in a room? I thought you could do it like you could send it via snail mail, couldn't you? I thought if someone's in yeah, Queensland, for exchange, WA, but for the settlement, for the settlement itself, you actually had, everyone had to have an agent and do the settlement around a room together. So you couldn't do unreal. it. Unreal. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's one of the. One did of the, the owner? Did he own it? Because I never, I never experienced that by myself personally. It's like super yeah. old school. But even though it's really, really recent, it's just yeah. like it's so funny how fast technology moves. Because Pexar, as a as a system, as a company, as a whatever, it's, it was it's only fairly new. So not that long ago, people were still doing this. Did the owner or the or the did the purchaser? have to go into that room as well or do they just have to have a representative? No, so everyone would have a representative unless you're self-representing, but it'd be a ludicrous idea for you to self-represent in any property transaction unless you're, of course, you know, you're a lawyer yourself or a conveyancer, but even then it's probably better to get someone else to do it for you because you want a fresh eye. But no, they didn't have to turn up, but everyone else who was represented, yep, banks, vendor, buyer, all three of those mm. would have to turn up together. So tell me, why does it take so long for a property to settle because with the advent of PEXA, so there's digital electronic exchange. Yep. Why does it take so long for a property to settle? Why aren't we, why, why do you not think we're at a point where we do instantaneous transactions? What's going on there? Look, I hate to knock on the banks, but it's the banks most of the time and them getting their side of things ready. Um, if right. I have a client who's a cash purchaser and you've got a, a vendor who doesn't have a bank on their title, we can honestly get that transaction done in a week. It can be done that quick. Mm. But when you have banks, any other component I mean is building and pest issues. If you're not satisfied, so for a new, for example, in New South Wales, most of the time you do all your building and pests before you sign or a strata report before you sign the contract. And so you know, and once you exchange, you know you're going straight to settlement. But in Queensland, WA and some other states, you basically need to do your building and pest and your finance in those periods to allow you to get your approvals. And so finance will take three, four weeks or two, three weeks to get approval. Building a pest, you've got to get the inspector out. They've got to do all that, get that resolved and make sure you're happy with that. So that's one of the lead things. And then the second thing is finance, getting loan documents signed, everyone to upload mm. their figures, do your figures, vendors to move out, buyers to move in, so on and so forth. So banks, building a pest are the two biggest things. Um, from a legal perspective, if we had to get things done tomorrow, we can get all the documents ready, provided our client signs. But, you know, we're holding that. You're like, it's not ours, it's them. We can do it. That's it. They're probably saying the same about us, but, you know, <laughs> we're all working together. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. On, the, on our next episode, we're going to be interviewing the head of CDA on why lawyers <laughs> get in the way. No, no. So, <laughs> yeah. so talk to me about the, the three stages of um, three stages of transfer in the process, because a lot of people get confused about this as well. I know we've sort of touched on it. There's conditional, unconditional settlement. What are the key differences that people need to be thinking about at those? Yeah, so you sign a contract. That's when you have an exchange of contracts, effectively, and then you're on a conditional contract, which means you still have conditions which may allow you to walk away from a contract before you're locked in and your deposit's locked away and everything's locked away for you to go ahead. Once you're yeah, satisfied- conditions are usually like subject to, right? That's kind of like the, yeah. hey, we have a contract of sale that is subject- yep. To these things happening, Correct. Correct. Uh, which can apply to any contract anywhere. Um, yep. but that's the that's the conditional bit. It's like yep. the subject to sale, subject to these conditions being met. The conditions usually and often and probably should be uh, something like subject to uh, financial finance approval and subject to um, yep. satisfactory building and pest inspection. Yep. Those kind of things are the, the kind of the basic fail stuff. Are there any other subject tos that people should be putting in there to make? Not really. Sometimes it's subject to a lease being entered. If you're buying a property that's going to have a tenancy on it, other times it's subject to certain works being completed. So not necessarily a building and pest report. You know, the parties might already know what they're doing and it's subject to certain works being done. But most of the time it's those three things, finance, building and pest, 
or at least being entered into all for the premises nice. and make sure certain things are ticked off. Yeah, cool. Nice. Okay, so that's conditional. That's conditional. Unconditional means you've satisfied all those things and you're locked in the contract. There's only very specific things that you'll be able to walk away and allow you to walk away from the contract, but 95 percent And the specific thing that happens at that, but the specific thing that happens at that point is you need to actually, like as a purchaser, you need to say, you need to basically sign off and say, I'm satisfied with the building impact. Correct. Right? Correct. And I've got my finance approval. Yep. So you are the one who waves those conditions and says, okay, I'm all in now. Yep. Let's go. And at that point, you're fully pregnant, so to speak. Yes, you're in there. That's right. <laughs> you go on to your next stage, your next trimester, and that's the conditional the conditional component of uh, of the contract where you're unconditional and you're locked in and we're working away. You're getting your money together. You're signing your loan documents, getting everything ready. You're packing all your stuff, getting ready to move into the property. And then the background- Is that the easy bit for you guys? Is that the easy bit done? Do you guys just, it's like holiday period? Yeah. The sort of- <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call it a holiday period, but it's making sure that we've got all the numbers and everything right to make sure the client- um, Everything they need to. We organise stamp duty in that period. So any property that you buy, you have to pay stamp duty before you settle. Otherwise, land trial's office won't register anyone's property. So you got to make sure you have your stamp duty ready. And how do you do that, by the way? How does that transaction happen? So literally, get, get a contract, put it money in bank, yeah, stamp it with a stamp, lodge the form online, and get the money in and we'll get a receipt and saying you've basically got to pay the stamp duty within a certain period and we transfer that off to the land titles office. Yeah. So as a purchaser, do I send the money to you to put it into a trust account and then you send it off to the land titles office to pay the stamp Correct. duty? Do I? Yep. Okay, cool. So, so clients yeah, don't so have to say anything anywhere to any other third parties other than to us. Yeah, it's super interesting, right? Because a lot of people think I'm buying a house, right? And I've got my deposit and I'm going to get a loan and then they get to the settlement end of the transaction and they're like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on a second. I've got to pay all these bills. All this yeah, money has right. got to come out of my account. Yep. Uh, and it's actually, I, I personally remember the first time uh, that Gabby and I went through it and we were like, what do, what do you mean we suddenly need to transfer these multiple tens of thousands of dollars to this account? We just, we we didn't, we weren't advised that that was even going to happen, right? So yeah, it yeah. was completely, it was literally the day of, they're like, where's the money and why isn't it in the bank account? And we're like, what do you even? What are you even talking about? <laughs> so, <laughs> so that happens if you're getting it a day before settlement, you should be really concerned because that's not the way transactions work. So for us, minute an unconditional, even though I've got it on site. Um, so yeah, you get you get a summary of everything that you've got happening and where those funds come from and where, where you need to put them and what our trust account details are and all the forms you need to sign and so on and so forth. So it's a bit to download as soon as exchange happens, but if you read it, get across it, it's all summarized for you in a few pages and. You just go from there. Got it. And so, aside from stamp duty, which is a cash expense, yep. The legal expense is that something that can be rolled into the loan, or does it? Is that a cash expense? Is there some way? Because a lot of people like to think, okay, well, can I? What can I? What can I kind of wrap into the settlement and uh, distributions, and what can be kind of covered by the loan? Is there any? You got any advice around any of that? So, look, the way it works is, with most of the time, is you have your property, you pay, you pay your ten percent on exchange and you've got 90% of the property left. Most of the time, banks will lend you 80% of it. If it's for a residential purchase, sometimes 70, depending on that. But let's just say there's the 80% component left. So that means you need to come up with that 10% difference. That 10% difference, you'll need to add on top your legal costs, whatever the registration fees are, 
for registering the title and your stamp duty. They're the three main things, plus some adjustments on council rates, water rates. So what we do on settlement is we basically say, all right, vendors paid some rates up until 30 June. You're only settling on the 1st of May. So we need to give the vendor a small portion of money for those two months that are otherwise paid, but the vendor has already fixed it up. So on settlement, you have an adjustment of 200 bucks that you need to pay extra to the vendor. Same thing for water, same thing for strata levies. So you've got those payments, so it's all balanced up for you, but you don't have to pay anything up until the 1st of July. You're good from there. The legal costs, I mean, people say, well, can you roll it into your, to your, loan, to your loan amount? But it's the same thing. It's one way or another, it's coming from your pocket because if it's taken off your loan, you've got to top it up anyway. Mm. to give that money somewhere but it is paid on settlement so we don't ask clients to pay anything before settlement so once you get to settlement that's when you square off everything that's on the list awesome love it what else we need to know about settlement anything it's where the money happens and that's where you get your keys so (laughs) that's where you know you've got to make sure your ducks line up and we do that for clients and make sure that it's all as smooth as possible because I've been through a purchase and sometimes we do this every day. It's easy to forget how stressful it is, but you've got to get your money. You've got to transfer this. You've got to move in. You've got to move out. You've got to make sure your tenants happen. It's just all mental, but we try and make it as smooth as possible. Key thing to remember is electricity and gas don't happen on your settlement. We don't take care of that. So you've got to arrange that when you settle. A lot of people think that happens when when we do the transfers as well, but You've got to organize that for when you're going into a property, whether it be for a tenant or for yourself or yeah, interesting. whoever, it's got to be organized. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Are there any other um, nuggets that you'd like to share for, to property investors who are thinking about going through this process, maybe that I haven't managed to tease out of you yet, you think people should know about the legal slash conveyancing process about this, anything, anything, you should, anything that you think people should know? No, I just think the key thing is to make sure you have the right team with you. The Having the right team is crucial. And, you know, if you're going to take a haircut on legal costs, for example, by 500 bucks or a thousand bucks because you're, you know, want to save some money and you're sort of strapped on the whole process, just think about if an issue comes up later that wasn't picked up and should have been picked up. That issue could cost you 10, 15 grand, 20 grand in legal costs simply because you might have taken a shortcut at the start, which is then blown up to be something much bigger at the end. A lot of people don't think about that for such a large transaction that you do in your life. Mm. A small investment, it's fractional for, for, for what you're buying. And so your property's equity is going to go up. The market, property market in Australia is one of the cornerstones of what we have. And so Probably by the time you settle, your property's gone up in five hundred bucks or thousand bucks. By the time you, you you you've gone through with it, so don't think about that small cost and think about the protection that you get from investing in the right team that's around you. Yeah, it's it's a super good point, right? And I think a lot of people make this mistake. You know, there's an old saying: count the take care of the pennies and the pounds will take care of themselves. And I honestly, sure. honestly, I think that that's kind of mad because what that encourages people to do is that is that encourages people to be like watching every dollar they're spending and it's like and they're not focusing on the big picture and it's like okay yeah, you're yeah, buying sure. a you might be buying a five hundred thousand dollar asset or something like that and you're worrying about five hundred dollars now now i understand people have financial constraints and i don't want it to come off as like callous or inconsidered but in the context of what you're trying to achieve you're right it's like buy if you're buying well you know which we have a great track record of doing well, yeah, it yeah. is by the time it's settled 
all of those costs have been absorbed by the wealth you've created. And so it's um, it should be considered to be part of the investment process. In fact, when we think about return on investment, what we actually calculate is all of the costs associated with the purchase, mm-hmm. including yep. the legal costs, including building a pest, including stamp duties. And we go, okay, well, that's all the cash you've got to put in. So then measure your yep. return on investment based on the total cash contribution. And when you do yeah. that, it's like you, it changes the context around, is this just another expense? It's like, no, 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 it's not another expense. It's actually part of your investment capital. Just think about it like that. Helps people to change the way they think about it because that's actually contributing to to how they're getting to their outcome. So, Sam, I've actually yeah. enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, and I'm sure it's been informative and hopefully, you know, for a lot of other people it'll be the same. And, um, you know, we, we look forward to continuing to help your clients get through these transactions. Awesome. Appreciate it. If someone wants to reach out to you guys directly, wants to get a bit of help, where would they go? Best number, 02-9279-488, or they can send me an email. My email is sard at lswlawyers.com.au. Awesome. lswlawyers.com.au is the website, right? Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Goose. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Speak soon.